Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Gracious God, we ask your spirit move among us in these words of scripture and scripture interpreted. Uh, may you guide us and give us your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The lectionary reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. Listen for the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, turn around for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus was moved by the message of John the Baptist. It was a crystallizing moment when he heard what John had to say. And yet, Jesus' message is not the same as John the Baptist's message. John the Baptist said, what has come near is the judgment of God. Jesus says, what has come near is the kingdom of heaven. For Jesus, what has come is not the judgment, but the joy, the good news. When Jesus appears, fear departs, not just the fear of death, but the fear of really living. God is near and we are set free to experience the overwhelming joy that God brings in God's grace. In New Haven, Connecticut, there's an art gallery. In the art gallery, there's a small modern art section. One of the displays is a small television set, uh, which is on an endless loop, but on that endless loop are these one or two second clips from classic movies of all sorts each one showing a different character picking up a phone and saying, hello. You have never stopped to think how many times, how many different ways people can say, hello. Well, you stop and think how many times we get calls in life, calls to do different things. A call, come by me, 
call, come spend time with me. The call, come work for me. The call, come help me. The call, come answer my questions. Come, come do something for me. Come to me. Come be with me. And we have all sorts of calls that come, and we have various forms of answers. Sometimes we say yes, and sometimes we say yes, but mean no. Sometimes we say no, but mean later, and sometimes we say not right now, and mean never, ever, ever. <laughs> but when Jesus calls, the question is, how do we answer? For a long time, the sense of call in the church ended up being narrowed to just clergy. Uh, now, I take great pride. I've helped to usher in nine people into ministry. Uh, I'm, I'm very pleased with that. Number seven's gonna be here at second service today. I'm, I'm thrilled to see her. But I know very well, it's not just about this narrow call for a few people to ministry. For us, it's the call for all. I went to John Calvin's church a few years ago uh, and uh, I didn't know a thing about it when I arrived in, in Geneva, Switzerland, and, and we had a guide, and I said, what's the name of the church? And the guide said, St. Peter's. And I said, isn't that a little Catholic? <laughs> and he said, no, for us Protestants, we're all saints because we're all called. We're called by God, and Jesus comes to give us a call. But what does that sense of call really entail? Uh, I, I think we need to um, look again at this passage uh, that comes to us in the gospel today. Uh, because what would it take for you to be at your job? You're in the midst of a, your daily work, you're, you're doing what needs to be done, uh, and, and there's people who are depending upon you. Your boss is depending on you. Your family's depending upon you. What would it take for you to immediately drop everything and follow where Jesus calls? Because that sense of immediately being repeated there is, is just that, is saying there was something compelling about what he was saying there. I'd invite us to look again at this text um, and to think about the context of where these people were. These were fishermen. They worked in, in dangerous waters, the Sea of Galilee surrounded by mountains. The water comes whipping down those mountains and onto the sea. This can be a dangerous place with huge waves. There were big storms and precarious situations, and these fishermen knew about people getting swept overboard and drowning. They're fishermen, they've seen this before, they know the terror, the loss, the pain. And Jesus comes along and says, I will make you fish for people. They know that what he's inviting them to is to be someone who saves lives. Someone who saves lives. I think Jesus calls us to be lifeguards. It's, it's a metaphor for what we're doing and it's a test for what we're about. Is what we're doing when we answer the call of Christ something that we clearly see and are aware that this is something that can save someone's life? It may be literally, it may be physically, it may be metaphorically. It may be psychologically, 
But what we are called to be is lifeguards because we know there are people out there who are drowning, who are floundering, who are going down for the last time. And we have a message. The message of Christ is a message of good news, of saving good news, to save someone's life in some way. Why else would the disciples drop everything and leave their jobs if it wasn't something that immediately had a need? The call of Christ is a call into being for the person who answers it too. Because all of a sudden we discover the deeper purpose of our lives. There's lots of different ways that people can answer the call. And Christians have been uh, thinking about this and, and, and wrestling with this and trying to discern about this since the time of Jesus. What does it mean to be called by Christ? Martin Luther King Jr. said, if you're a street sweeper, then sweep like Michelangelo painted. I think that's a beautiful image because it may seem like a humble task, but when you come to think about it, what they're doing is public health, and that public health is something that has a deep dignity, and it's part of a life-saving work. There are many ways that God calls. God calls us to love and not to hate. God calls us away from indifference into participation. God calls us uh, in ways that we can answer in a great many ways, in a great many times in any profession. I think there are doctors who recognize that it's not just a technical work that they're doing, but a call to life as, as they take, take care of their patients with a sense of love, with a sense of recognizing the dignity of their patients. I have a good friend who's a lawyer, and I'm so impressed with him because when he deals with his clients, he truly, truly seeks to bring peace uh, instead of going to court. He really does try to bring peace. I think he's got a sense of call of what his ministry is for his context. I, I was, uh, was inspired by the, my friend Bob, who was the, the president of Dollar General many years ago. Uh, he developed the core vision statement for his corporation, and at the center of it, it was the, there was the word serve. Um, and, and he said, we want to serve our stockholders. Of course, everybody wants to do that, but we want to serve our, uh, our customers. We want to serve our workers. And he said, our context is poor communities. We want to serve the communities in which we're, we, we find ourselves. That's a sense of call that he brought, not just for himself, but spread to his corporation. Uh, there are all sorts of ways that we can be called. I did a sociological study uh, in, in graduate school um, of, of a middle school. There were 30 teachers in this school, and I spent a month talking, about, talking with them and getting to know them and watching them in action and trying to figure out how this school ticked. Uh, and, and in the conversations with them, I found out that fully half of the teachers in this particular public school said that they were, te I mean, I said, why are you a middle school teacher? This, this is like, you know, volunteering for the draft, you know, or volunteering, it's just, this is tough stuff. Why are you a middle school teacher? And half of them said it was their sense of Christian calling that they could shape young lives and they could touch them in this public setting with something of the love of Christ.
So what's your calling? Where is Christ calling you? On what journey is Christ calling you? I think Christ calls us as individuals and Christ calls us corporately as churches because love shared in churches is exponential and we can do far more uh, as we come together in churches than we can do on our own. Uh, there are mission projects that Kirk in the Hills has done that I think truly are saving lives. The tragic situation of the troubled young mother and her children who froze to death not too far away from here this last week lets us know in heartbreaking real terms that there really are people who are out there going down for the last time. And the answers to those problems are not easy. But God is calling us to find ways, uh, to, to discover new ways to reach out and to care. Kirk in the Hills is, is reaching out with food, with strength, strengthening social services, with finding ways to, to, to help with housing. There are all sorts of ways. Um, and, and God is opening up before us the possibilities of how we truly can save lives. Who's God calling here today to join in those efforts? Uh, I think those are the kind of questions that we wrestle with, that we struggle with. I've uh, told a story before, um, I've probably told it a couple times already, and I want to warn you, I'll t tell it a couple more times before I leave, okay? Well, we have mission partners as Presbyterians. We have mission partners around the globe. Um, these people who are out there on our behalf seeking to come alongside of people in various communities and to discern how we can be helpful, uh, how we can be partners with them in the work that they do. One of our mission partners is in the Middle East. Uh, his church of, of 500 is feeding 10,000 refugees. Uh, and, and it's in, in the area of Syria, and, and I asked him when he was over here in the U.S., what do we need to do? What, what do people in the U.S. need to do to help bring peace in this area? And he said, well, we know for sure we don't need more guns. We need changed minds. And that was a crystallizing moment for me. We need changed minds, because isn't that part of what we truly do in the church? We change minds to help people see differently, to see the grace of Christ, to see the love of God, um, to see the world different in that light. Uh, some of our members are going to visit uh, the seminary in Egypt on their uh, pilgrimage in the coming weeks. Um, that is a seminary that teaches Christians uh, how to be pastors uh, across the Middle East. It's truly uh, an amazing school, and uh, to f I am so eager to hear what they learn there because there are churches that have existed for 1,500 years or more, and they're being driven out of their towns. How can we be helpful to those Christians over there? What can we do uh, to, to find ways to bring life as they bring light across the region? Lifeguards, we're, we're called to be lifeguards with the saving love and light of Jesus Christ. We live in confusing times. 
Uh, I've come to believe that in our country it's not a problem of liberalism or conservatism, but nihilism that threatens us. Nihilism, the idea that nothing matters, that you can say anything you want, you, you can do anything you want, and you won't be held accountable. It's an atmosphere that spreads in all sorts of ways. That idea that nothing matters, that life doesn't matter, is something that is pervasive. You can see in the uh, deaths of people from age 10 to 35, one of the top three causes of death in that age group is suicide, a sense of hopelessness. This is not easy for me to talk about. Our family's been touched by that. And I know just how unready people are to share hope. And I know how uh, how unready we are as a society to provide mental health facilities and the deep help that is needed for this epidemic uh, in our society. We are, as a society, not doing what needs to happen for these folks to bring them hope and support that they need. I think God's call comes when we come to realize that that life is not a spectator sport, uh, but for us as disciples, it's our call of Christ to stand up uh, and to follow where he calls sometimes into very uncomfortable places, out of our sense of serenity and security into the places where life really matters. There are things that make life worth living, and there are things that, make, that are worth us giving everything for. We are called by Christ to be a stand-up people in a world that is sitting down. In a world where the cries of pain are there, we are called to follow Christ there and to make a difference. Um, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. But for us as Christians, it is I love, therefore I am. I love in the name of Christ and I have that love to share. Um, it, it takes imagination to be a disciple of Christ. Imagination to hear the voices that are out there and what they're saying and, 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 and the pain that they're in. To hear the people who are uh, going down for the last time and, and to recognize that we are empowered by God to respond. It takes courage to move ourselves in response to journey where Jesus is calling us. But it is our call and our question, are we ready and willing to make the sacrifices that it takes to be truly alive and to share that life that Christ alone can give? I was once in a presbytery meeting. We had one of our African-American college choirs from one of our Presbyterian schools that was there. Um, they uh, were a group that had been there a number of times. Uh, they had a signature piece, His Eye is on the Sparrow. Uh, I love that song, and, um, and there is in that song a, a solo uh, piece. And the thing is, the congregation that was witnessing knew what the choir also knew is that nobody knew who was going to be called upon to sing the solo that day. In the midst of the song, when it came time 
for the solo, the choir director would simply point and say, you. <laughs> it's your day. It's your time to lift up your voice. It was powerful. But isn't that what we have when we hear that call of God? That, 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 that we recognize that Christ has pointed to us and say, you, it's your time to sing. It's your time to share the love. No one else can do it, but you, you are the one. The question for us is, are we ready for that call? Are we ready? Because we have been given God's love. We have experienced Christ's forgiveness and grace and goodness and healing and hope. And now he points to us and says, it's your time. It's your time. In a few moments, our deacons will come forward. I'd like to, to, to during the, the last verse of the next hymn, to come forward uh, for ordination. Um, but they are ordained to a particular task. I want us to remember that it's every one of us who is called by God to respond and to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Amen.